Hey, business owners, this episode is going to be for you. Over the past few months, I've been talking about some of the new cool things that I'm doing as a certified value builder advisor. So I am a financial advisor, but I'm a financial advisor with a twist. I do all of the things that your typical traditional financial advisors do. I work through the financial planning process. I work with investment management. I work with estate planning. I work with helping people to make the right financial decisions for them for the reasons that are important to them. But as a certified value builder advisor, I can also help my clients to build the value of what is more than likely their largest asset, and that's the business itself. So check out my new website, www.allofmyassets.com and email me, david at parallelfinancial.com if you have any questions about anything financial related. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner, David Chudik, where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast. Uh, my name is David Chudik, and as you know, I am a certified financial planner with Parallel Financial. But I've been doing uh, doing some work to really be able to expand the kind of the level of service that I can offer to my business owner clients and recently uh, became a certified value builder advisor. And that means that I can help my clients to increase the value of their business through, uh, through the eight drivers of business value. So then later on, they can sell their business for either a higher multiple or they can just have a more profitable and uh, an easy life. So I wanted to talk a little bit about this um, with a friend of mine, Corbin Cook, um, who also uh, does some similar work and uh, with, with business owners. And it's just really exciting because we both, we have hearts for helping the entrepreneurs yeah. and helping the business owners of the world because the business owners just have so much going on in life. So, hey, Corbin, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, David. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, Corbin is in Atlanta. Um, I'm I'm just over the border of, of Atlanta, uh, of of Georgia in in South Carolina, exit 11. So we're not too far away as the crow flies. But if you know anything about Atlanta traffic, uh, depending on the day, we're about three or four hours uh, hours apart. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about your your practice and what you do for business owners. Yeah, so uh, you know, I launched SMB Strategy Consultants to help the small business owner deal with their bookkeeping and really understand their financials. So a lot of business owners in that one million to let's say ten million dollar space really don't have a a trusted advisor inside the business helping them not only understand their financials but look at them from an operational intelligence standpoint. So um, there's always the CPA, the accountant, but those people usually look at it from a tax standpoint and rarely from an entrepreneurial mindset. So SMB Strategy Consultants really takes this idea that um, if, if we provide you trustworthy and reliable bookkeeping, you will then be able to forecast. If you can forecast your numbers, then you can begin to see into the future. If you can see into the future, then you can begin to make proactive decisions ahead of some sort of a opportunity or potential disaster also allows you to make what if scenarios do i hire when do i hire sure. do i buy a new truck you know do i lease a truck 
And it helps you to do this. So most small businesses in that space don't have that kind of an advocate. So we come in and we provide the bookkeeping matched up with the intelligence reporting and forecasting to help them really see into the future. Yeah. You know, the, the small business owners of the world, they typically, they like their trade. So, you know, if you like building stuff, you become a home builder. If you um, even, you know, the, the, the medical professionals that aren't part of big hospital systems, you know, they go to school and spend hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars learning how to take care of people and do dental work and medical work. And then they, they kind of realize, wow, I'm a business owner and I have to hire people and I have to know how much money I have coming in. I need to put money aside for taxes. I need to get business licenses and just things that you would never imagine doing. And, um, and, and there's just so many, so many uh, mistakes, uh, mistakes that, um, that can be made. So my kind of experience is that your CPA typically says, Okay, Corbin. Um, it's it's uh, you know it's April of, of 2023. Here's what happened in 2022. You need to write a check for X amount of dollars to the government because of what happened in 2022. Congratulations, you had a good year. You had a profit. Um, so write a check. Um, can you like as a bookkeeper and as a consultant, like during the 2022 year, can you help to to make that 2023 time when you're filing your 2022 tax is a little less painful, maybe by planning? Yeah, well, so I mean, you nailed it, right? It's through planning. But the the trouble is a lot of times the bookkeeping isn't trustworthy and reliable, right? So, you know, you go into a scenario trying to do planning, but your books aren't quite right, or this doesn't seem right, or this isn't categorized correctly. So when you go to the tax person who says, well, I can only advise you on what you're giving me, a lot of times what you're giving them isn't going to be accurate. And so what we do is we not only encourage that planning session with the CPA, but we help you make sure your numbers make sense going into that meeting so that you can get the most out of it. Sure. Yeah, no, um, no, no question. So as value certified value builder advisors, um, we work with clients and, and we like to talk about the eight drivers of value. They're kind of eight really key areas of, of all of our businesses that, that if we improve these areas, we can, again, we can sell the business for a higher multiple when we're ready to sell. And, and really one of the first value drivers is, is financial performance. So, so as a bookkeeper and as someone who's, you know, who's a certified value builder advisor, what can you do maybe a little bit differently? You know, maybe somebody, um, uh, and, and, you know, can you provide audits? And what are some of the things that, that you can help so that when I'm willing and ready to go sell my business, the numbers that are kind of in the books and, and on the tax returns are 100% accurate so that I know and the buyer knows that they're getting what they're buying. So, you know, John Warlow, who wrote the book and really, help develop or really develop the value builder system. He does talk about auditing your books and what he's talking about there is making them defendable. And when we present ourselves as an entrepreneur and as a a CEO of our own company, a lot of times we're paying ourselves a certain salary. Maybe that's over what the market rate would be for a general manager. Maybe we have some one-time costs that really don't belong in the operational uh, forward-looking numbers for a potential buyer. You know, we could have a lot of other um, miscellaneous items that get pulled out of the numbers to really reflect what is true. I mean, because a buyer is really not is not buying the past 
they're buying what your company will do in the future, that growth potential. And so when you present these numbers, and I've seen numbers get presented to folks that are just, and they've, they've made their own changes, right? But the books were never kept on an accounting system. So they're just spreadsheets and, you know, you really have no, no way to, to dig into the books to really understand why it's happening a certain way. And, uh, and those books can't even be audited anyway, because they're not on a system that can be audited and there's not really a good trail. So it's really important to get your bookkeeping tied up by being on a, on a reliable bookkeeping accounting system. So is that QuickBooks or is that a different system or is that just one of them? I mean, there are different systems. We focus on QuickBooks okay. um, just because you have both the desktop and the online version. Uh, the online version does a lot of great integrations. But the, the main thing is that when you come in and you, you reveal these books to somebody, you can say, here is what my, because um, you have to present the, the tax, the tax returns, right? So those go as part of this due diligence package. And when you show them the operational bookkeeping, you want to say, here's what we took out and why. It needs to be very clear. It needs to be documented. And as long as that all makes sense and they can see the difference between the tax returns and the actual operational books that you're showing them saying, hey, if you buy my business, this is the free cash flow you'll have after I'm out of the way. Mm -hmm. You know, after what we did this year to invest in all that capital equipment is done, mm -hmm. you know, you're getting the benefit of this kind of cash flow. And that's where your multiple gets translated into your bottom line and what your sale price is. So you really want to have a good, a good accounting team or a good bookkeeping team to help you sort that out all along the way. So that when you do get to the point of wanting to present, I mean, it looks clean. Like you don't want them finding what happens is you identify a problem with their bookkeeping and then all of it is untrustworthy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is true for just bookkeeping in general. What, what I find is that if you present books and you've made an error, it causes every number to be suspect. Mm -hmm. And so the real goal and, and what I strive for in our, in our company is to always have trustworthy and reliable books, because as an owner, if you know, your books are right, then you can make all kinds of powerful decisions. And that yeah, goes I mean, for your potential buyer. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of business owners, you know, even of, of, of bigger businesses in the million dollar revenue and up, you know, they, they just say, you know, I looked in the bank account and there was money. Uh, you know, and, and that doesn't necessarily, um, you know, take into consideration of accounts payable. Uh, a lot of the money in the account right now, probably, you know, or there's a good chance it needs to be paid to somebody and, and you have payroll mm -hmm. and everything coming up. So kind of looking at, um, looking at those reports and everything. And I think really having someone like yourself to almost force the business owner to look at the reports, because, uh, you know, I know in my business, you know, there are some times that I know that we're doing really well and it's not that hard to look at the reports, but, you know, other times when, you know, cash flow isn't great, it's not that fun to look at the reports, but you still have to do it. It's kind of like going to the gym when you don't feel like, you know, but if you're paying a personal trainer, you're going to show up. Well, all that is very true. Um, the real key for uh, an entrepreneur or a CEO, you know, just someone who's a type A personality who makes up a lot of our business owners is to not show them a bunch of spreadsheets and a bunch of, you know, columns and, and chart of account items. Like it's really just to provide them the data and then translate it. So like an executive summary about how things went, you know, this is what you took in. This is what we expected, you know, um, overall, you know, from what we budgeted to what was actual, you know, here are the highlights of things that were off, 
you know, as opposed to making it one long meeting where it's like the guy, you know, the girl, the guy, girl, whoever the owner is, it's looking at these numbers and it's just cross-eyed. Mm-hmm. Um, you really want to get in. So that's really why I, the, the value propositions for SMB strategy consultants is that I'm, why well, I understand the financials. I got 14 years in the financial industry. Like I am an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. you know? And so mm-hmm. like, I, I always look at it as of, I always look at my bookkeepers. I'm like, you can't say it that way. Like you can't present it this way. There is no bottom line. Like I have to go and do the math to get to the actual answer. So I'm always having to rework the bookkeeping information so that it's translatable. Like we always say, you want to give your numbers a voice. Mm-hmm. You don't want to just present numbers. It has to have a voice. Okay. So there's a, a term, kind of a confusing term out there that may 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 confuse business owners or they may even not know what it is, but EBITDA, what, what, what is that? And, and why is that important? And you kind of hear about, you know, um, multiples and, and, you know, so, so talk to us a little bit about that and what that kind of means to, uh, to a business owner, both when they're selling a business uh, or maybe what it means on an everyday basis. And then kind of, you know, what it would mean to a buyer or a seller. Well, so there are things from a, an accounting standpoint, from a taxation standpoint that are going to be in your bookkeeping. Things like depreciation, which is just uh, a made-up like, number, right? I mean, it, it's not. I mean, it's not a made-up number, but it's not actual money leaving your bank account. That's right. So it's you'll see it in the expense line, but it's it's not. It is literally just a, an actuarial number to reflect the um, the decay of an item over time. Your computer uh, will eventually need to be replaced, you know. And so what the uh, IRS allows us to do is to write off that that future cost through a little bit every year through depreciation. So it, it doesn't count operationally. Uh, same thing with interest. You know, in this case, you know, if, uh, if you have debt, most likely when an owner, another owner comes to buy your business, that interest won't apply to them anymore. So that's another thing that is, while it is truly an expense for you, it may not be a, an expense uh, hitting the cash flow. Um, amortization and, and even your taxes, these are all things that, from an operational cash flow, just don't belong in that number. So when they say EBITDA, it's earnings before interest, taxes, and amortization, it's really designed to say, this is the operating net income. This is what the business really generated without all this other stuff. Right. Uh, and so that's what your multiple gets applied to most likely. Okay. Okay. Um, so as value builder, certified value builder advisors, kind of one of the things that we we look and we hope to do is we hope to help our clients to get a higher multiple of that number when we back out the amortization and and the and the depreciation and the interest so um i mean do you have any success stories or kind of general ranges of 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 what sort of a multiple kind of is normal and then what sort of a multiple once you maximize your business can be you know not expected, but maybe, you know, maybe you could strive to achieve something like a, a higher multiple. Yeah. I mean, every industry kind of has its, its numbers, you know, like um, as a consultant, it's, it's pretty low. It's like two or 3% is like the range, but for a technology company, it could be seven to 12, you know? Okay. Um, so it really just kind of depends on the type of business it is. You know, the average I think is between three and four uh, as a multiple, so, you know, if you have $100,000 or a million dollars in net income, it's just four, three or four times that. Now, what we know is that if you buy um, 
if you were going to go on the market and let's say there's, you know, um, you know, 10 businesses out there and there is one business that is just the cash flow is awesome. Uh, the employees love their job. You know, they're, they're well diversified against any kind of, you know, uh, supplier or customer base or anything like that. And, you know, the owner is taking, is gone four months out of the year in Europe. And, and it's like, he doesn't have to be there to run the business. And then there's a business where the owner is literally busting his ass to, you know, do the jobs, meet with all the customers. You know, they can only find one supplier to provide this one item in order to fill it. Like you can already tell that one business is more inner, more exciting to run and looks better from an owner standpoint than the one where the owner has to work. Mm-hmm. All right. That being said, that's a weird scale, but you get the idea. One where you basically can, the business runs itself or one where you have to actually run the business and work in the business. You're going to pay more to be able to go hang out in Europe and still have great cash flow than you are if you're going to have to work 60 hour work weeks to keep that business going. Right. So the value builder system is unique in that it identifies, there's not just, just the ones I, I identified here, but it's, there's eight drivers that make a business really exciting and attractive to a new buyer. Yeah. And what I've yeah. learned is that all this, all this, this, this value builder score is, is how healthy your business is. Mm-hmm. Right. And so at the end of the day, whether you're, you're thinking about selling in three, you know, three years, two years, one year, six months, or if you've just gotten started, you know, like the value builder system is an amazing process of understanding what your business needs to look like, feel like, cash flow like to be healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the cool thing. Because I mean, is it fair to say that really, I mean, a sellable business is a profitable business, right? And it's and it's a well-run business. Uh, you know, I was talking with somebody earlier kind of about, hey, let's say that um, kind of in an extreme example, uh, you are someone who started a grass cutting company and, you know, you, you bought a tractor and it's just you cutting grass and that's a m- noble thing. Labor is great. But um, if I wanted to buy Corbin's grass cutting company from him, the value of the company pretty much is the lawnmower that he sells me because Corbin's doing all the work and um, there's no systems, there's no processes, you know, maybe not contracts. Um, but now if Corbin builds up um, a business that, um, and in a lot of cases, new businesses, they're, they're commingling their personal and, and business funds and, and maybe not planning for taxes, which is not a good thing. But let's say Corbin, you know, works hard. He, he hires a team, trains them, um, has accounting uh, systems and processes. He has an HR manual. He has contract with his employees, um, with, his, uh, with his customers. Maybe he does something that no other grass cutting landscapers do uh, to give himself kind of a monopoly. All of a sudden, that's a business that I would buy from you because I'm almost buying an ATM machine that's spitting out money um, as opposed to, you know, buying just the ability to have to do more work. I mean, does that sound like a, a, a good way to describe 100%. it? 100%. That's, that's a great example. You know, if you, if you translate that just to a, a commercial landscaper, you know, as an owner, you don't want to be the one out there cutting the grass. You know, you've got that team. And in the end of the day, your clients are on some sort of a CRM and you, you're selling the client list and you're selling a brand that has reliability. Uh, and that takes a long time to build, you know. And so when you look at the sea of, of landscape companies to purchase, you know, you're going to pay more for that one over the one where the owner's still doing half the work. The owner's the one that talks to all the customers. 
And so there's a, you, you can see now why there's a multiple scale based upon where your business is and specifically where it is on the eight key drivers. Uh, the value builder system is what it's like uh, three or four times up to um, as much as what seven times, seven eight times, times is yeah is what the, the kind of the optimized businesses can get, and that you know that multiple you know on 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 several hundred thousand dollars or more of 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 profit can be a tremendous tremendous amount of money just by you know optimizing your business. But again, you know even if you're not selling your business anytime soon, you're still having a more profitable and easy life, which I think is, you know, is equally, um, equally as important. Um, yeah, I, I read, um, you, you have an ebook called the owner's metric that everyone should ask you for. And in that, in that ebook, it actually gives an example. So when I, when I read it, um, and after you showed it to me or whatever, uh, you can actually see this example where somebody was going to increase their top line revenue, because that's what everyone thinks about when increase that top line revenue. And uh, uh, versus working on the eight key drivers and driving up your multiple. Right. And, and even if you didn't change your top line revenue, the, the difference was still true. Now, the benefit of working on your eight key drivers with a guy like David here is that you're actually going to improve your EBITDA number. Mm -hmm. like you're going to improve your top line because all of a sudden you got hyper focused on, on growing your business in a healthy way. That will rise too. So if you just had the mindset that, you know, I, I, I'm a you know, $5 million business, I need to get to a $7 million business and I'm going to sell it. That's not really the, the, the most efficient way of getting uh, additional money from the, or value from the business. It's going to be working on these key areas that make it more attractive. That raises your premium up on the scale yep. of discount versus premium purchase. Yeah, yeah. So another little trick. So your business is SMB Strategy Consultants. Mm -hmm. I would pay more to buy SMB Strategy Consultants than I would if it were named Corbin Cook's Bookkeeping Service. Because, oh, yeah. I mean, don't you think? I mean, because then all the customers are going to think, well, Corbin's gone. Um, he just sold it. So I'm going to go find somewhere else because Corbin was, was doing all the work. So do you see any value in not having the owner's name in the name of the business? I mean, I, I do, you know, listen, I, I think of when I start a business and I've got five of them now, you know, I always build it in such a way that I know it's going to be sellable one day, you know, and, um, and in designing the name, I mean, the worst thing is that all my business have S and B in it. It's like S and B this, S and B that. And so like that, that might be where I messed up, but you know, now it's like, if it somehow it's cohesive to me. Um, but if you have your name in it, starting out, it says, this is my work. I am trustworthy. And in the beginning, I bet it's actually a benefit to have your name in it because people think if I had to choose between SMB and Corbin's bookkeeping, I know Corbin's got his name on this business, you know, so I could see yeah. where it's a hard decision. But if your vision for your business is to one day be either a lifestyle business or be sold or be passed on, like, I, yeah, I think you're dead on, David. You really shouldn't add your name into it. That's a... Yeah. Well, so when every customer gain for a long term receipt. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't know how many clients you have, but when everyone thinks, you know, if, if it were Corbin's, you know, bookkeeping service, 
you know, people, Hey, can I talk to Corbin? Yeah. Hey Corbin, you know, I thought my bill was going to be a hundred dollars this month. It was 102. Can you fix it? You know, and that's probably not what Corbin needs to be doing is adjusting. You know, those are probably things on Corbin's team that, that he can be done. But, but when your name is in the title, you know, people just kind of assume that, um, you know, the, the owner has to, uh, has to handle everything. And, and that you, it's really, yeah. really to, uh, to, to get bogged, um, bogged down uh, for sure. Funny you said that. So I, I've got one client, uh, it's a large electrical company here in the Atlanta area called Pat Murphy electric. And, uh, and so, well, Pat Murphy was a real guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and he was the one that started it now about 20 years ago, he passed it on to guy Roberts. And, you know, so every now and then, you know, like guys always get called Pat. <laughs> wow. Because there's still this name, but he, Pat, Pat did sell it, uh, but the namesake stuck. And it's uh, so like, yeah, if you sell it later, you, you'll, someone else will be running Corbin's bookkeeping, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they probably won't change the name. Yeah. And so you yeah. have to decide in the future, you know, if you really want something else or your legacy to be run by somebody other than, than yourself when it's your own name. And that's- yeah, yeah. So in addition to bookkeeping, you know, what is an outsourced CFO? Like what, what, how is that different than a bookkeeper? And, and what size company would be interested in that? Because, you know, let's say Microsoft, you know, Microsoft is not hiring Corbin. They, they have staffs and staffs of, of CFO type people. Mm-hmm. Now, where typically is it to where a company hires their own CFO uh, to yeah. where... And what type of company generally would hire someone like you to work? I don't know how many hours per month, but not not forty hours per week every week on CFO type work. Yeah, so I mean, I, I find that uh, we work with businesses anywhere from let's say four hundred thousand dollars all the way up to around five million. That's our sweet spot. Now, uh, up to about ten million, we continue to work with them, but usually it's that between that one and five that someone says, "I just need some help." Mm-hmm. right uh you know once you make it to one million you're like oh you know i've made it you know and then you realize how hard it is to hire people right you're hiring somebody and you just assume they're like you they're going to do a great job because they really care and you find out that they they just don't have the same appreciation for the role that you do you know or that they don't understand things the way you do because you have 20 years experience or something so it's like all of a sudden you have this really it's what we call no man's land between one and $5 million. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard because the goal beyond 5 million is to have a professionally managed business. So, and that, that really doesn't happen until you get to about, really, it will begin to happen, but between five and 10 is when that really takes shape and then solidifies. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. between one and five, it's no man's land. You're trying to hire, you, you need the forecasting, you need reliable bookkeeping because now you're making big decisions. You know, before it was kind of like you could hire fires like three or four people, five people. But now it's like you've got 15, 20 people on payroll and you're trying to figure out how to manage your resources the right way. Um, so I say between one and 10 is when someone hires a fractional CFO. Really between one and five is when they, they feel desperate for it. And $10 million you really should have someone internally. Sure. And you know, you're yeah. going to have a controller and, and all that stuff. And, you know, and maybe maybe between five and 10, I'm, I'm part of that professionally managed team. Um, but the, really the goal is to help develop that part of the business because yeah. otherwise the owner is too enmeshed in the day-to-day. Yeah. And, and I think that there are just so many small businesses out there 
And when I say small business, I, you know, I may even be talking about businesses with several million in revenue, but they're not run like businesses. They just, they, they aren't. Um, so, yeah. you know, we all need to, as business owners and entrepreneurs, we need to be working towards having a team, having a, a CFO or, or, a, um, you know, a, an outsourced CFO, you know, our bookkeeping services, um, you know, business, I mean, there are business owners that try to do their own taxes, which is insane. Um, you know, I would argue that having a financial advisor like myself can free you up to do the things that you're really good at doing, which is kind of grow your business and then let someone like me have an investment process to kind of help to guide your investments without having, without having like the emotional attachment to certain stocks and securities and have a rules-based um, uh, investment strategy. And also things like, you know, just someone to, you know, your financial advisor doesn't draw up your wills, but your financial advisor can basically threaten your life and say, look, if you don't get a will, you're going to need one because I can't be your advisor until we set an appointment, you know, uh, and get your estate planning documents done. And then of course your attorney is a big part of your team. So so we all need to, to, to develop that team that can help us because as an entrepreneur, you simply can't know everything that you need to know in order to run a growing and successful and sellable business. Yeah, so true, man. You know, so you're talking about your professionally managed business team, but then you're also you know, dealing with the fact that you really need managers within your life. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, when, when someone like, like David gets involved with, with a client, what's happening is you're becoming that macro advisor and that macro advisor is going to help drive the coordination of all of these micro people. Like the attorney is not going to get involved and spend time in a boardroom with everyone else. Right. The, uh, you know, the, the mortgage guy, you know, all he's going to do is mortgage. He doesn't have time to come into a boardroom and think about all these things. So really it's you, David, that is going to help stand in the gap of, taking this information and coordinating sure. how that's going to impact their life. You know, one of the things that um, it's like, you know, when do you stop cutting your own grass? If you really want to spend time with your kids on the weekend, well, yep. you can always hire someone to do it, you know, right. Corbin's lawn service, you know, or whatever, you know, and, and at that point you start to realize that these are the professionals you need in your life to, to just free you up to do what you were born to do or what mm -hmm. your passion or mission is, or the love of your life is, you know, and, um, and you're that, that fit, you know, and I'll say that, you know, one of the things that we did is we realized that for a business owner to get to that $1 million, they still need trustworthy and reliable bookkeeping. So what we did, David, and tell me if this makes sense to you as well, is that we start off with just real basic bookkeeping at a level that is like affordable to pretty much everybody. Right. And then we move that up to what we call elevated. And then we have CFO light. And then we have the full CFO type platform for those over a million dollars. So we really want even that super small person to get into a rhythm of good data and have that data formulated in a way that where it's operational intelligence for proactive decision-making, even when they start off and they're, they're just getting going. But it's that moment where they say, you know what? I really don't need to be doing my books anymore. I have too many other things to, to do. It's being neglected. That's when they hire me. We, we bring in the bookkeeping team. They handle that. We move them through what we call a level up process. Now, do, do you ever run into business owners that are like, God, I mean, my books are so horrible. I haven't reconciled. And, and I mean, it, it's just, it's going to be embarrassing if somebody looks at them. I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you talk to that person? Who's like literally just ashamed of what their books are going to look like? It's, it's normal. It is so normal. You know, there's always a setup fee and a cleanup. 
you know, like when we first onboard, we want to see what's going on. We want to get an idea of where the neglect has been. Um, and then we just fix it. Like we get in there, we get to work, we roll up our sleeves, we get the bank statements, we do everything we can to do everything we can with the resources that you have. We get the books right. Now, uh, we'll even help you finish off the books to go ahead and get your taxes done if you haven't done your taxes yet. You know, a lot of folks get to where they scramble there at the end of uh, corporate, um, even with the extensions where they go, my books are so bad, I have no idea if I can even report this to the IRS. So we do a lot of cleanup, David, but that's totally normal. Matter of fact, it's almost even people who say, oh, well, you know, my books are good. The book keeper's doing this and they send us what they have and it's like it doesn't match up. And so yes. we then have to do it there. So it's almost impossible not to find some cleanup. And, and I mean, these things aren't going to fix them. And what you said is, you know, we fix it. Well, if the business owner knew how to fix it, it wouldn't be broken to begin with. So. Um, again, you're part of the team that knows how to fix stuff and you have yeah. the expertise and, and, um, you know, and everything else. So, so I really, you know, one of the things I preach just all of the time is, is as business owners, we need to have our team and nobody works for free. You don't work for free. I don't work for free. Oftentimes, uh, uh, part of the team will end up saving money in the long run, but they do have an upfront cost. Um, you know, as an example, I don't know how many people I've told in the last few years, you know, during the financial planning process, kind of looking at their mortgage saying, hey, you know, this 7% mortgage that you had from a few years ago, that was a great rate back then. You know, I mean, if you know a mortgage person, or I can refer you to one, you know, refinancing could literally save you tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars, and you kind of hold people accountable. And then they do something that I don't get paid off of, but still, it's part of helping my client, because it's something that I understand. And, um, you know, I'm sure even, you know, even, even your company probably will end up saving your clients from paying late fees and IRS penalties and everything else. So ultimately, you know, expenses may be down, even though your company, um, you know, doesn't, uh, doesn't, doesn't work for free. So. Well, I mean, and, yeah, and I'm probably like you, we like to think that we, we identify where the return on the investment is like anytime you can recapture inefficient dollars and put them back to work in an efficient way, you're transforming that business. You know, you, you look at their AR process and, you know, they have so much out past 90 days and they're not sure if they're going to collect on it all. You know, you look at, you know, their AP and then their vendors are always threatening to cut them off if they don't pay up. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. they just feel like they're drowning at some point. Yeah. And well, so, and you said something, you look at their AR process. Well, how many businesses, there's no process. It's just, you know, when or if I'm the money's there or, um, you know, when or if we, we get around to, you know, but you got to have a process. Sometimes it's as simple as just sending, turning on the automatic reminder. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, it's just sometimes we just don't do that. And a, a lot of it's because we assume people will pay us. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not that they don't want to, it's that they purposely, they, they kind of like, oh, they see it, they say, oh, I'll pay it later. They forget, you know, and you really have to have some sort of a system. And, you know, like a lot of my clients, we have an AR, a biweekly AR meeting where I'm meeting with the team and we are sitting down looking at the AR and having a discussion around each, each piece of it. You know, yeah. is this yeah. person going to be able to pay at that net 60? You know, why are they past net 60 right now? Does something get dropped? And we'll find out that invoices sometimes get missed, have mistakes. Sure. But without sure. that meeting, these things we sh we show up the first meeting we see and we're like wow mm -hmm. look how much you have out here in this ar and then the yep. business owner is just like yeah i don't know i don't know what to do about it i'm stuck 
Yeah. You know, and we're just like, you're not stuck. (laughs) But we're going to knock this out. Yeah. So, so I'm imagining someone maybe driving to the office that uh, going go to, go to work early that owns a business and they're thinking, those two dudes are talking about me. Like I run a, you know, I give a good service, but I know a bunch of people owe me money. But to be honest, I don't even know who they are or how to find them. And, and yeah. I don't know, I, I don't have a process. And, and um, you know, I do the best I can. And maybe I have kind of a, you know, someone in-house who's helping me with bookkeeping, but that's not really a, you know, a trained person. And, and to be honest, I, I'm not sure I could survive an IRS audit because I don't know that everything's exactly accurate. And, and I want to grow my business. And, um, and they're just thinking, man, I, I need Corbin or I need his team or I need someone like him. Like, how does that person find you? And, and what would that process be for someone that's just thinking, I have this weight that I need to get off of me so I can grow the business yeah. or I could just work less and spend more time with my kids. Yeah, well, I mean, so it's, it's really easy. Uh, you, I would say go to the website first, SMB Strategy Consultants. And, and you work virtually, data. you know, with, with no geographic barriers? That's right. That's okay. right. So we're based okay. out of Atlanta. Um, you know, we do have some in-person meetings, but for the most part, I try to do everything virtually. Okay. It's just more efficient for me. And uh, as long as the owner is open to that, I have had you some already clients. already talked about Atlanta traffic, man. So yeah, right. I mean, I've had some clients that really say I can't do it virtually. And, uh, and I just, we just, we no longer work together just because it's just not, um, it's not good for me to be in there. I mean, most of the time I'm looking at numbers and if I can't zoom in on something or show you something, or you tell me immediately, well, that's not right. I can change it in real time. But if I have to print it off and bring it into your office, like it just is like that report becomes obsolete. The minute you open your mouth, I promise you, (laughs) I have never seen a report where someone didn't say, well, you know, this is going to happen. And I just, I can make an adjustment. And then it's, and then it's real time again. And uh, I really don't like going into a meeting with paper because it's just me taking notes. And I I would rather just make the adjustments in front and and actually have that working session be as productive as possible. So anyway, all right. So SMB strategy consultants, you can also, you know, reach us, you know, by, um, well, mainly just go to the website. It's fantastic. You have the phone numbers. You have a lot of knowledge-based stuff there. We have a lot of great videos. You've got me talking about things on video. You've got stuff on um, all the material that we work with. And, um, and of course, we work with guys like David, you know, that coordinate some of your overall stuff. So it's, it's, uh, it's best just to head on to the website, smbstrategyconsultants.com. That's pretty cool stuff. So, yeah. So if anybody out there just, you know, get help if, if this is an area you know, where you feel like, you know, either you're struggling or you just feel like you need to go to the next level and have a, um, a, a fractional CFO that can, you know, just help you to forecast and make decisions that are based on money, do it. I mean, or, or talk to someone, talk to Corbin, uh, not everybody's for everybody. Maybe there's somebody else out there for you, but, but get the help because almost never do you invest money in, um, in, in your business and it doesn't pay off. Interestingly, um, I, uh, my office works with a fractional sales manager. So this person, you know, we don't need, we, we can't afford, we don't need a full-time sales manager, but we have a guy that comes in and does some sales training and he's, he's brilliant. He's really, really good. And, um, yeah, we have to write him a check, but guess what? You know, we make more money off of that. So it, it just works out. So smbstrategyconsultants.com, check it out. And now's my turn to put Corbin on the spot. So um, Mm -hmm. as you know, we're the Weekly Wealth Podcast, and we talk about the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategies to help you to build and maintain wealth. So my question for Corbin, and it's the same question I have for every guest, is what's your definition of true wealth? 
So true wealth to you and your life, what is true wealth? I mean, true wealth is me not having to work because I'm obligated to work. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I love what I do. I love my business. I love my clients. But my goal is to have a three-day work week and be able to spend time with my kids, have long weekends, build my relationships with those that matter most to me. So true wealth would be the ability to live life the way I see it. And, and I love work. So it's not a, the ability not to work. Mm-hmm. It's just the, and really to me, time I'm talking about businesses, I just want a fantastic team yep. that allows me to come in, be the strategy consultant, be the, 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 the magic maker, but my team runs the business. Right. And when you can get it, your business to where your team is running it and you can take time off the way you are supposed to as a business owner. That's why we take the risks is that when we can take off time and we want to have a team doing it. So that's my version of wealth, having a business that has a great team running it for me so I can come in and and do the parts of it that I love doing, but be able to spend time with my kids and my family and my friends. Also, um, if you get a chance, check out my new website, www.allofmyassets.com. Kind of the premises of of what I do is, is most financial advisors work with the investable assets, the, the IRAs, the retirement accounts, and things like that for their clients, which I do and our firm has a great process. But I'm also helping my clients to build the value of probably their biggest asset, and that is their business. Everybody, um, reach out to Corbin if it's something that interests you. And um, until next week, we wish you um, a, a, a blessed week. Thanks, Corbin. Thanks so much, David. Bye-bye. The information contained herein, including but not limited to research, market valuations, calculations, estimates, and other material obtained from Parallel Financial and other sources are believed to be reliable. However, Parallel Financial does not warrant its accuracy or completedness. The materials are provided for informational purposes only. It should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results.